0: Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to
1: the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To the Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon here with my co-host, Eric Trexler. Eric, hi.
0: Oh, we're starting the show, Rachel. <laughs> Just kidding. Good morning. Good morning.
1: Good morning.
0: Happy Monday. We're back on our normal schedule. Yes,
1: it's nice, except I'm I'm in Las Vegas this time. I haven't been back in Vegas in years. And I have to say, I haven't missed it. Eh.
0: <laughs> uh, the, the song uh, Cheryl Crow Cheryl Crow's song "Leaving Las Vegas" just popped into my mind.
1: I don't think I've heard that.
0: Really, yeah, I think it's Cheryl Crow I'll look no, it up. I'll
1: look I, it up. I look forward to leaving Las Vegas. People in Las Vegas are lovely. Nothing against that. It's just not my town. I'm exactly. I'm a New Yorker at heart. Those are my people. So, uh, but uh, it's been nice to visit. (laughs) See, I've not missed anything in the last three years. So.
0: (laughs) Okay. I I did just look it up. Leaving Las Vegas, Sheryl Crow, four minutes and 27 seconds or so, 1993. Whoa. Thought I was losing my mind. Digging
1: in the archives, digging in the archives. But (laughs) speaking of archives, I'm excited about today's guest. We've talked a lot about what he's authored. So we finally get to... Dig into it. So uh, please welcome to the podcast, everyone, Stefan Sasanto He's a senior researcher in the Cyber Defense Project with the Risk and Resilience Team at the Center for Security Studies at ETH Zurich. Welcome. Welcome,
2: Stefan. Well, thank you for having me, Rachel and Eric. Great to be excited to be on this
1: Yes, so much, so much to dig into. And and so for all of our listeners, Stefan wrote that amazing IT Army of Ukraine report. I'd say did a lot of research <laughs> for that report that we talked about a few weeks ago and, and we're like, blew our minds, but also left so many questions. And it's, you know, how did this even come about, Stefan? I mean, the, the idea for putting this, I mean, this very like serious, dense, chock full of information report together i don't even know where you would get started for that
2: Uh, good question i I think it came out of a little bit of my frustration uh, because everybody at the time was talking about russian activities wipers uh then stabworm comes into the picture and everybody's looking out about what are the russians doing and why don't we see more and why are they not more active and why don't we see another not Petya, and so on um, but nobody's really looking mm-hmm. at what the Ukrainians were doing. It was like the narrative was like they're getting hammered and hammered all over the place, and nobody ha- had the attention span to say like, oh, they're right. also doing offensive operations, and they're it, kind of good at it, and they've built something out that is really meaningful, kind of innovative, uh, kind of brings a new perspective to the game, and uh, I think they, they've, they've created an effective machinery there uh, that's, that's very informative for um, conflicts like in the that. future.
1: Because they've had, I mean, right, Eric, I mean, they've, because of proximity, I think, to Russia and what's been going on for so many years, they've, they've had a, you know, kind of this bird's eye view as well into kind of how they operate. Uh, but also to start thinking about, okay, how do we really harden, harden our defenses so that we can protect ourselves ahead, like a test kitchen, if, if anything. Yeah.
0: No, I I was talking to a a good friend of mine who's in the know, if you will. And I, I was talking about the Baltic States being the best cyber defenders in the world. And, uh, his comment was essentially, I, I, I'd give that one to Ukraine, hands down. They've had the most practice. They're the most skilled at it. And I, I think when you read when you read Stefan's report here, you know, the report on the IT Army, uh, there certainly are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talent available. <laughs> yeah. Yes,
1: it sounds like, uh, what did you say was uh, the the number of folks at the height of it, Stefan? Uh, At the
2: height of it, the IT Army channel had around 307,000 members. Um, Currently, the figure is around
0: 307,000 members of the Ukraine IT Army.
2: Yeah. Uh, But, I mean, to put the figure into context, these are just people from all over the place, from all over the world that joined this one Telegram channel. And it's very, we, we don't really know how many people are actively doing DDoS and participating in these campaigns. Um, it could be just 100 people, right. it could be 100,000, it could be uh, 500,000 for all we know, and not everybody is part of that one channel. So there's a whole network of different channels. We're targeting information that the IT Army publishes in the main channel gets disseminated. And so it's, it's like a mm-hmm. like a megaphone. That you just hold up and you say, we're doing this these and these sites and everybody who wants to participate, go for it now. And then you have this massive influx of traffic for this one site and you just keep it down every single day. And there is no, right. there's nobody to stop. It's just, <laughs> we just go and go and go. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's uh, essentially what they're doing. But uh, currently the number stands around 238,000. And uh, so there's a drop around 20% of membership uh over the course of the war uh primarily what we think is happening is that right. uh, people just become bored um the conflict like if you did us for like four months all the time it's just sometimes you just why am i doing this why am right. i spending time on this why is my electricity <laughs> bill this high you're it's right. like uh i have to go to school or like a new semester starting and so there are different different reasons why people stop participating in this and uh so there's also from the IT Army side, I think uh, yeah, the, the kind of innovation circle is, is seeing that dynamic as well, because they're more into now looking how can we optimize uh, things? Like, uh, instead of asking people to, to join, the, uh, the join the channel, we ask them to essentially mm-hmm. give us their service and say like, okay, we have a free server here in Bulgaria, whatever. You can just wow. take that uh, for to launch DDoS attacks. We just need your login credentials and whatever, and uh, we can run those campaigns Independently of you actually doing anything, and so um, I think there's there's a lot of infrastructure that's being built on the on uh, on the Ukrainian side and just getting getting servers lined up together, funneling the traffic into into the IT army into those operations, and uh, so it's almost like a like a how do you say it? a guerrilla gor- yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> campaign? Oh, guerrilla, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a grassroots kind of kind, kind of thing. Uh, where it's not really that organized, but people come together and have a common goal. And that's what you see happening here. Um, so, I mean, at the top of it, uh, it's essentially the Ministry of Digital Transformation that kind of created this IT army or kicked it off. And then we have Yegor Ushev, who is an entrepreneur or cybersecurity entrepreneur in Ukraine, He's quite famous, because he, he um, um, created several uh, cybersecurity companies in Ukraine, uh, one of them is Hakan, another is Cyber Unitech, and uh, the third one is Cyber School. And they're all kind of heavily involved in um, how the Ukraine government is kind of positioning itself because, for example, the cyber school, uh, they train essentially cybersecurity experts in the Ukraine, um, including uh, the security service of Ukraine, so the intelligence agencies. Um, then you have Cyber Unitech, which is a cybersecurity company that does like penetration testing, infrastructure security. Uh, they, they kind of uh, uh, secure infrastructure against uh, internal threats and so on. And their primary or one of their um, clients is the National Security Council of Ukraine, National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine. So think about this uh, as being the, the National Security Council in the U.S. as part of the White mm-hmm. House. Um, so you have very strong links there to the government, um, and they're, they're being used. Particularly in the situation now in warfare where you have, you need to have this expertise and that similarly brings together players that previously had like limited connections, but now they're coming together because they're looking for, for capabilities for people to, to actually get things done and make connections that previously didn't exist in that kind of form. So Jäger Uschef is kind of the, the, uh, the mind that had the initial idea of how about we create this IT army? It would be really interesting to do. And then Mikhail Fedorov, the Minister of Digital Transformation, just picked it up and kind of owned it yeah. and said, like, oh, let's do it. Let's, let's try and see what happens. And so there, there are many facets that a lot of people call the IT Army of Ukraine. And usually the, I, the A is then uh, lowercase, uh, which then includes other parts of these kind of initiatives, that these grassroots initiatives. So Stand, Stand for Ukraine is another kind of campaign that people are doing where we have around uh, 1,400 people from different like you uh, have people that do ad and that were previously at agencies, that PR consultancy companies that have no kind of line of hacking background or whatever, but they come together in this room to talk with people that are on the cybersecurity side and say like, well, how? What kind of operations can we run? How can we help you with this? And then they make things happen. And then another part is the the 1,000 simply strong Ukrainian cybersecurity volunteer group that Oushev himself created through Cyber Unitech. Um, and those are essentially uh, the folks that go into critical infrastructure companies and help them uh, to, to show up their defenses. And they're also uh, working with the government together. So there are 1,000 people that we know of, or at least that that was the plan that he had uh, to uh, do some offensive operations, but primarily do defensive. And that's operations. in Ukraine. That's in Ukraine. They're on the ground. So you have all these uh, Ukraine okay. experts that are facilitated into this, into this unit and then are spread out to these different companies that are vital um, to uh, Ukraine's continued existence. And,
0: and what percentage of this army would you say is, is native to Ukraine? I, I guess positioned in Ukraine. I know it, it looks like Yegor. Yegor? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It looks like he his business, at, at least the uh, cyber unit tech, is in South Korea and Ukraine, right? It looks like he splits exactly, his time. Exactly. Yeah. What, what percentage of the army would you say exactly. is resident within Ukraine versus volunteers from all over the globe?
2: So uh, the Cyber Unitech, essentially unit, this 1,000 strong person unit, uh, they're pretty much all u- located in Ukraine. So they're, everybody is essentially Ukrainian. They have a secure, I think they communicate over signal primarily. I'm not sure. But they're, they're essentially a well-established group. They have deep linkages. They know each other quite well. Um, and so they're, they're able to kind of vouch for each other to say like, this is not a Russian insider threat or whatever, it's not somebody who wants to spy for Russia but they vouch for each other so they can go into these companies and have this kind of, can do these activities. When it comes to the IT army uh, of Ukraine, so it's 300, well, now 238,000 people. Um, we don't know how many are Ukrainians. Um, my guess would be that probably like 30% are Ukrainians, and there we have to discern is it Ukrainians living in Ukraine or Ukrainians uh, abroad uh, in other countries. Uh, but I think the, the bulk of it essentially comes from abroad, from, from everywhere, from, from Brazil, the United States, uh, Lithuania, Spain, uh, somebody can come from Taiwan or, or Japan from faraway places. Um, but uh, most of them don't speak in the channel or, or the chat, the attached chat. Um, and uh, so we don't know, we don't have any reliable figures. I think um, what maybe you can discern is when a company gets gets hit by these DDoS attacks, mm-hmm. where is that traffic coming from? But then again, most use VPNs. Right, I would, I would be sending it from the of anyway. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly, so we don't really have reliable figures any kind of figures to discern like where are these people actually sitting. But what, what we do know is that um, the attached chat of uh, the IT Army channel on Telegram, uh, we have people converting in, in English. We have people openly saying, like, I'm based in, in Switzerland. Uh, I'm, I'm DDoSing on this side now. Uh, who wants to join? And whatever. Um, so Switzerland is also involved, right? <laughs> Which is kind of complicated because we're a neutral country. And so uh, that, that's pretty, I think, bigger than other uh, uh, when it comes to, to neighboring countries who are kind of almost like co belligerents almost in this conflict because they have Army Ukraine and, and Switzerland has a traditional neutrality, which makes it very, very you know, complicated if Swiss citizens start to DDoS um, Russian infrastructure. So, so we have this army. It's, it's several hundred thousand
0: personnel in size with different levels of engagement. Some people may just have a little fun on a Sunday evening. Other people may be spending 24 by 7 attacking predominantly the Russian infrastructure, the country of Russia. And Russian citizens, I'm assuming. So, so Rachel, just just so you know, you know, three hundred and some thousand personnel here. The U.S. Marine Corps is 181,000 people. So this army is bigger than the United States Marine Corps. Um, the German army—I just looked this up. You'll be very proud. Hundred and eight. Well, before the show, <laughs> hundred and eighty-four thousand active-duty members. So, th- this army is bigger than the army, the physical army of Germany, and and they've been able to marshal these resources together for, dare we say, the common good. Right. I mean, <laughs> let's take a position here as a podcast group, right? I will say the common good. I, uh, maybe I'm speaking uh, for Rachel. Uh, maybe I'm ostensibly not.
1: Ostensibly the common good. Yes, yes, yes. For- Are you betting on
0: black or red <laughs> while you're in Vegas right now? I'm betting on black. Go oh, Ukraine. Anyway, um, so, so Stefan, we've got this army bigger than the Marine Corps, bigger than the German army that's out there that's attacking Russia from a cyber perspective how are they communicating? Like, can you, can you share with our listeners a little bit of the, the tools like yeah. Telegram and you mentioned Signal and Twitter, but what are they using and, and how does this global army that was created communicate? Right, it's
1: a lot of people.
2: So primarily they communicate through their uh, Telegram channel, um, which essentially serves like a like mm-hmm. sort of megaphone that trumps out uh, target information to say like, um, today we're hitting 56 banks these are the banks, these are the ports, these are the IPs, go for it. And then what they additionally do is they put out instructions for DDoS tools, right? So they have a whole website, accessible, openly accessible, uh, um, itarmy.ua.com, I think, or com.ua, I'm not sure which way around. Um, And uh, it's protected by Cloudflare. So it's it's all legal, I guess. Uh, But they publish all these instructions for all kinds of DDoS tools uh, that you can use, uh, whether it's uh, virtual machines on on cloud servers, so AWS, uh, Google, Microsoft Cloud. They have all these instructions to abuse them uh, to run DDoS attacks on them. Uh, They have various DDoS tools where they just say install this, download this proxy list. Um, We update the target information. You don't have to do anything. Just start the tool and just let it run. Uh, That's all you need to do. Um, so there is a sense of automation to this, uh, which gets larger and larger, and more heavily relied rel- on the, the more we go on. Uh, but there is also the sense that um, the, the megaphone on the Telegram channel serves a, pers- pers- uh, such a distinct purpose because other telegram groups or other other uh, DDoS groups, they jump on this and take that information to then mm-hmm. disseminate it in their channels. So we have other channels that have like 600,000 people, other channels, have 500 people. Um, so there, there are groups like uh, the Cyber Student Army, for example, which are actually students uh, at a university in Kiev. Um, so, um, and they're, they're not shy about this, uh, but you see this kind of mobilization, this kind of network that's wow. just is take that information the IT Army publishes and they run with it. And, uh, well, it depends on how many members want to join at, at any particular point in time to run this operation and participate in it. So there's a lot of flexibility in terms of how effective they are, uh, how long they're being conducted as in certain targets. Some websites are down weeks on end. Uh, sometimes some websites are only down for a day to a week. Uh, but others can be down for, for five, five weeks, uh, several months. Um, and, and so, and it just continues and continues and continues.
1: It's how, Rachel, what do you think? I know my mind is still like,
2: student army, huge army.
1: How do you how do you manage do you all this? I mean, that's the question, like, how do you manage all of it? And to your point, Stefan, like, when does right. it end? I mean, it, I think you, you would characterize kind of like, you know, cyber war versus cyber chaos. And it's kind of a fine line. Here, you know, I mean... I, who's in charge? I feel left out. Like, I need to be on this Telegram channel like everybody else is. Like, you know, like, where's my invite? Oh,
0: boy. Oh, boy. Quick comment to all of our sponsors, of which there are none. Rachel is just joking. She does not mean it. Although she's amazing at PR. She could probably help out if anybody needs it. So, so okay, Stefan, how do you coordinate? How do you target? How do you... Who's in yes. charge? I mean,
2: craziness okay so um yeah there it's it's actually it's pretty easy on how they're doing it so um individuals can simply you don't have to be a part of the telegram channel or you can, you can be part uh, but you can essentially recommend targets that's what how in the beginning it kind of started where the army got recommendations from other users they were like how about we ddos this side because this side is very important to the russian economy and, uh, uh, therefore it's very, we, we do very effective. So we're sitting around and having so a little vodka with always, our friends <laughs> and we're
0: like, Hey, we should take Aeroflot exactly. offline for a couple of weeks.
2: Exactly. <laughs> something like that. Or you're like, Oh, uh, Putin is giving a talk at this conference. How about the DDoS that conference, right? And so you can actually on the IT Army website, you can just send in recommendations for sites to, to target. Um, and that's essentially how a, a lot of t- targets in the beginning were kind of chosen because they themselves, they kind of needed to organize, they need to have kind of on the backside in terms of, well, what are we going to achieve on this end? And I think in the beginning, they went essentially from sector to sector. So they said, like, oh, let's talk to this sector of Russians economy, let's go to the next one, and then the next one. Um, and uh, in the beginning, it was kind of a, a bit incoherent because you had a lot of overlaps there. Um, and uh, sometimes you, you only had like five sides that could be DDoS. But nowadays, they have, they have become sophisticated to the extent that they're saying, we're going to hit Russian wow. pension funds or Russian, Russian banks, and they have posed like 50, 60 targets at one time. And so you immediately feel the repercussions on the Russian side saying that all these sides are going down. And so for, for any Russian user uh, or citizen, that's kind of really like, right. OK, what are we going to do now, right? So if you come with target banks, you suddenly have people going to the ATM. They can't get money from the ATM or from this bank. Then you look over to the other bank, you can't get money from there either. And so it's it's really this kind of an assault on Russian society at large. And that's how they see themselves, and saying, like, this is about not about, um, It's part of stopping the war, but it's really about uh, stopping the war by attacking Russia's economy and and by by making uh, individual Russian citizens feel that pain. And we're not just talking Um, DDoS. That's the logic behind them. We're not just talking DDoS. No, they've become very sophisticated in other means. Um, So there is a quote unquote in-house group um, that is, uh, I think it operates, um, uh, well, it's kind of disattached from the Telegram channel because um, nothing the in- in-house group does is ever discussed in the Telegram channel. So it happens behind the scenes. Um, and so what the, detail- what the in-house group was doing is, for example, um, go against Rothgram. Rothgram was uh, a Russian in- Instagram clone, a kind of startup that wanted to fill that void. And what what the in-house team was is look at the beta subscriber list, and they got their hands on it. So they hacked the company, got the subscriber list. They built a fake application, like a Ross Graham application, and then distributed to those uh, subscribers, beta beta test subscribers. They installed the app on their phones, and then they received uh, push notification messages saying, you have been hacked, Uh, all your private information will be released in public. And so that's how essentially they wanted to destroy RosGun as a company and as well make those people who sign up for the speed of service.
0: Now, problems. did they hack those phones or did they just, Was
1: it just like a
2: scare? Yeah. make
0: the initial beta subscribers like, uh-oh, I better get off of RosGun?
2: We don't know. They could have done more, right? They could have done more. Well, we don't know. That's okay, the end yeah. of the information as far as that operation that's Well, the
0: they answer. certainly installed an app on exactly. the device. So,
2: I mean, that's pretty sophisticated, right? That's, Step uh, one. That's a very neat operation if you want to run follow-up information, you're already on that on those devices. Um, then another time, they uh, um, breached RooTube. So RooTube is essentially the uh, YouTube clone in Russia. Um, it's kind of it's very well-established. There, there's a huge audience there. Um, what they did was they did bre- breach Roo, RooTube and uh, essentially shut it down. Um, so they locked the administrators, the physical administrators at RooTube, they locked them out of their own building. Uh, by changing the uh, the uh, entry codes on the doors. Um, then they started to delete infrastructure. So they deleted a whole host of files on the, on the uh, They kind of to tore it down. Um, and so um, Bluetooth itself, At uh, I think, it took them a week to reestablish um, the operation. Um, and uh, I mean, they were lucky that they have back, had backups. Um, so if, if the ITR in-house team would have gone there, and I think they even said that they deleted backups, but I mean, if there's delete the backups, then it would be a, a much bigger operation in terms of impact, but, but Rootip was able to stand up again after one week. Uh, but you see, it, this is only the, the kind of initial operations from those teams, from that in-house team. And what happens in the future, I think they become more and more sophisticated. Uh, they will look at more experimental operations they can pull off. And so uh, in the future, it's anybody's best guess what they're going to do. Um, so... We'll know when they tell us,
0: essentially. Who is in charge of this army? Like, Um, what does the leadership look like?
2: uh, We don't actually know who is in charge of it. So, um, Mikhail Fedorov, the Minister of Digital Transformation, created the IG Army. Um, And then we know that there are several administrators. I think the number um, that I know is eight administrators that are responsible for the Telegram channel. Um, Where they are coming from, what their background is, and how they were chosen, we don't really know. But as you can imagine, you don't choose like uh, just random strangers on the Internet to lead your 300,000 strong army. Right. Right. It's not yeah, Rachel and not.
0: Eric running the yeah. army. Just, <laughs> just for
2: our listeners, uh, you know, they need to have a particular set of skills, a particular background. And the question that bugged me, for example, was that the Ministry of Digital Transformation is not specialized in DDoS campaigns, right? They're not specialized in information warfare campaigns. So they're they're specialized in getting out applications that are helpful to the citizens like digital services and so on and so they're not they're not specialized in in warfare right warfare online um, and so i think what happened is that uh the ministry of digital transformation is kind of the the front for this operation to give it kind of a civilian kind of paint job but in the back you have more and more uh, the intelligence okay. service and the military coming in because well, you're fighting a war and this is the machinery you're using in that war and they have capabilities that you can leverage. Um, so in that sense, I think the military has taken over, even though it, the, the Minister of Digital Transformation right. might not know it. Maybe even not the administration will know it, mm-hmm. might not know it. But um, I think they're they're essentially in charge of this now and and uh, utilizing this uh, um, in this war. Um, and what's kind of interesting is that even from the IT Army, we're seeing some behavior in terms of their DDoSing. But then they've come out, I think it was in, mid-July, where they said, okay, we DDoS this target and you all help DDoSing this target. But DDoSing was not the primary aim of this. We actually ran a second operation to exploit the data from the target. And we only needed those DDoS to, to kind of, uh, um, uh, so the, the security like folks have the attention on some other things. Exactly. And so you see that the kind of innovating that and kind of using this machine of DDoS for other purposes. And so so far they haven't released uh, the kind of data they've exfiltrated. We're so still waiting for it. Um, but maybe after hearing this podcast, they will release that information.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how we're how we're tracking in Russia as far as uh, you know compared to the competition. But I'm sure we're pretty high on. The yeah, we are, so, we are, right, we Rachel?
1: are. We, we do, do not know off The top of my head. Yeah, yeah. they
0: they could we hear us. So, Stefan, be careful what you what you do say. I mean, we are we are pretty popular in in a number of European yes, and yes. African countries. Well, really, India, too, and a number of... <laughs> I think you'll be okay. So how how do they prevent rogue agents from going after right. non-Russian assets? Let's say Switzerland or other governments or yeah. even Oops. accidental, right. yeah. you know, friendly fire.
2: Um, I think there hasn't been any instances that we know of, but, I mean, the IT Army, they, in the beginning, they targeted, for, for example, Belarusian sites even though Belarus was not a, uh, not a belligerent in that war. They kind of always said, like, we're not part of this war. I mean, Russian, Russian assets are uh, on our territory, but we are not shooting any missiles over there, right? So it's always the question, like, is, is Belarus a, a belligerent or not? And so in the beginning, uh, a few DDoS sites, uh, a few sites in, in Belarus were DDoS by the IT Army, but then that suddenly stopped. Um, and so they, they've, so far, I think they were only one or two other instances where they decided to do so, but generally they don't target yeah. Belarusian sites anymore. Um, but that's, a, I think, a conscious choice there uh, because they realize the IT Army is getting p- political in what they're doing. And so uh, there's, there's acute awareness that what the IT Army does is also reflective of the Ukrainian government because we have the Minister of Digital Transformation connection there, right? So that's, that's an official. Uh, so if the IT Army, for example, cooperates with Anonymous, that would give it a whole different different uh, kind of outlook. Same with if they would cooperate with the Belarusian cyber partisans. Would that be kind of seen as the Ukrainian government cooperating with the exile government of, of Belarus, right? The opposition government. So it's like you don't want to get, you don't want to complicate things, right? You want to keep it yes. simple. You want to have simple tasking and people know what they're doing so they don't get involved in other politics uh, across the world.
0: But you have three hundred thousand people loosely organized over over hmm. Telegram and, and and Signal and the like that have a very uh, what would I call it disconnected leadership chain, right? I mean, they've, they've in, in probably almost all cases they haven't met the people who are are running the show. How do you control that? How do you control rogue agents? How do you control someone who is a member of Anonymous? and the i t army from not taking it too far or going rogue or doing something I mean that, that would be the concern that I have i mean we, we see the Russian army today you know some of the atrocities they're they're causing um or they're involved in just based on what we would say from a Western perspective, poor leadership right lack of discipline, and the i t army seems orders of magnitude less I don't know structured organized how do you prevent that
2: essentially um, on the IT Army telegram channel only the administrators can post right. so okay. it's more like a Facebook group where only the admin can post um, and everybody else kind of comment can comment on that one or can like react with emojis or whatever so there is a sense of control that no no other individual apart from the admins can kind of redirect the army into a different direction. That's, that's simply not possible. Okay, so there is control in that way. Got it. There is control in that way, right. Um, I would say there are, well, there are different groups out there who are closely, uh, well, kind of affiliated with the IT army. They do support them uh, in their activities. So they, they latch on to the um, information that the IT army posts and do the same targets, but they also run their own independent operations. Um, and that is kind of um, – the IT Army doesn't endorse that, uh, but there's also they, – they don't avoid, avoid doing them. They don't say don't do this or whatever. It's kind of like, okay, you do this, whatever. You don't do it under, under our banner, so it's fine. Whatever you do, it, it's, it's, it's your mess, right? So in that sense, um, I think there, there is a sense of control and there is a sense of distance uh, to, to other groups. Uh, no individual can kind of redirect the IT army, um, apart from the admin. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. So let me—I
0: I want to switch gears, if I could, for a second here, Rachel. What do you think?
1: Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: So, Stefan, when you when you were a cyber security and defense fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations, you designed and held cyber war game exercises oh, for some pretty
2: big organizations.
0: Yes. Right?
2: Yeah, uh, uh, well, it was one big exercise for Microsoft at the time, yeah. It was kind of special to me, yeah.
0: Okay, so we're really big. We've had some guests on talking about simulations, talking about war, war gaming. I don't want to speak for Rachel. I, I think it's a really important exercise yes. to go through as a leadership team. How would you redesign it today, watching this IT army of Ukraine come up, knowing that there could be a parallel army that would attack, I don't know, friendly nations or organizations, companies, whatever. I mean, this is not a, you know, it's not like anybody copyrighted the idea and nobody else step on that, right? This could happen and and will likely happen going forward. How does that change your thinking? Long-winded question, but how does it change your thinking?
2: Uh, it's a good question. I think uh, other states, they are looking very carefully about what the IT Army does and uh, how other countries are reacting to it. Yes. Um, do we kind of say this is, this is unacceptable, their conduct? Um, this, is, this is unacceptable for Ukraine to create some, such, such, a, such a monster, essentially, uh, and for Ukraine to essentially recruit people that are not living in Ukraine, that are not Ukrainians, but living in countries that essentially are non-belligerents in this conflict? Um, So I think a a lot of countries, uh, particularly in Europe, and I think NATO is kind of concerned about this, but uh, publicly nobody has found a solution. I mean, EU officials at one event, uh, they voice that uh, the IT army are essentially criminals um, and we should arrest them. But then again, um, if you look at some EU member states that are sending, um, that are allowing their citizens to actually go to Ukraine and participate in hostilities, uh, carrying arms and actually going to the front lines, it seems kind of odd that you would at home arrest people that are in their own homes, uh, just deed right? I mean, that, the double standard would be so odd. Well, to, you can't prevent
0: like, a private citizen in a free country from going to another country and taking up arms. You can potentially prevent a crime from happening from the country that's harming another country or an organization, right? So if the FBI found out yeah. that yeah. I was reaching into Russia and taking you know take take your take whatever you want offline, right? Pick your pick your organization, that's technically a crime and they can prosecute me for that. Me if if I go to Russia, if I go to Ukraine and I join the Ukrainian army in Ukraine, I don't think the US government could do anything about that. I'll speak to the U.S. I know it better than others.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Liz Truss, uh, I mean, British foreign, foreign Minister, she openly said like if more people want to go Ukraine and fight there, yeah, they should go. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of really weird. Right, but, but, but you,
0: you can't stop them now. You may not if they, if they get captured. You can't stop them. But if, if they become captured, they're POWs. Yeah, exactly. You may <laughs> not, you, you may not put all the chips right. on the table and try to bail them out. But you can't stop them from going sure. if i'm if i'm creating a if i'm if i'm you know creating a crime or actively involved in criminal activity from inside the borders of the country i think that's a little different but i'm certainly no lawyer right it,
2: it should be a little different i mean there is there is the whole discussion about due diligence and how states are responsible for what happens on their territory in terms of if that activity affects another country and that's what we pressed a lot with the countries in terms of ransomware, incidents, right? Ransomware campaigns that are coming out of Russia, targeting the U.S. infrastructure infrastructure across Europe. And now the shoe is on for other foot, right? So if the Russians are saying, well, we know where these you know, campaigns are coming from. They're coming from Germany. Why don't you arrest them? It's like then the German government is like, yeah, yeah well, if we do that, it's like, are we right. anti-Ukraine in that sense? It's like, are we doing Russia's mm-hmm. bidding on our territory? Or uh, are we are we upholding ourselves to a higher standard and say we don't want to get involved in this conflict and no citizen of ours is allowed to do this activity? Um, but, I mean, I think yes. currently it's a political decision. We have to Agreed. put that line. Uh, but nobody's willing to do that.
1: That's, yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. In this kind of new world as well, it's. I mean, does it something that is a cyber war with an you know volunteer army? Does it ever end, right? I mean, at this at that point either, right? And and nobody wants to get to Article Five, right? Because there's like we don't want to go to to the nuclear option. It's just it's so thorny with no clear answer. Literally. <laughs> I mean, it's this is such an interesting kind of. I don't know, say use case is the wrong word, but it's. It's just opened up all these questions, I guess, you know, Stefan, even you kind of were posing in your report that just don't have any clear answers or anything kind of neat and tidy to say, OK, here's the end. Woo, We're done. But we may never be done. And that's fascinating, but daunting <laughs> at the same time.
0: Well, we've, we've Rachel, we've seen volunteer armies in the past, right? Over, over all of time.
1: Sure. There have sure. been volunteer armies. And, and-
0: but this is a whole new level. The the level of of disconnectedness, while at the same time the level of connectedness with social media and the ability to be—I mean, you could be—you could be on the space station. I'm not suggesting anybody is, but you could be on the space station and participate. Yeah. You could be in Antarctica and participate.
1: Yep. Exactly.
0: Yet you're not there.
1: Exactly. You know, and maybe just i got a couple hours to kill and
2: oh yeah exactly um so um i mean the the kind of um, strategy to mirror what happens uh, international law applicable to real space and how we transfer it into cyberspace is still a huge discussion mm-hmm. where we haven't really figured out like how does it actually work are certain things actually transferable um and the manual effort like there's Manual 1.0 2.0 and they're currently working on 3.0 it's a kind of effort by academics to come together and kind of make this mirroring effort and say, like, okay, if this is applicable in real space, then international law should be applicable this way in cyberspace. And this effort is still ongoing, and certain countries are endorsing the, the telemanual efforts, and uh, certain countries are coming out with their own positions in terms of how should neutrality apply in cyberspace, right? Uh, things like how does the sovereignty apply in cyberspace? These are all huge questions that currently... Uh, Different states have different answers to that. And to coming to a a common ground is is what we want to achieve in the future. There's so many other states who haven't really discussed this at all. Like I think most of the African countries haven't even formed an opinion on it. It's primarily driven by the Europeans, by the Americans. But I think we have had
0: double standards. So. Maybe we can have double standards. We don't want them necessarily. <laughs> but I, I feel like we've had double standards. I mean, right before the conflict in Ukraine kicked off, hell, let's call it a war, you know, r- Russia had been, uh, I guess they stepped up a little bit on the ransomware side publicly, mm-hmm. right? What they did, didn't do, who knows? Uh, but but I, I think it's pretty clear we've had a lot of ransomware activity out of Eastern Europe, that that region, that has not been prosecuted or stopped by the nation-state. So I think we can have some double yeah, standards. Yeah, that's what you would we just don't like on the not customary standards. law,
2: right? So it's,
0: it's like yeah. hypocrites, right? Uh, they exist, what- but you don't like it necessarily.
1: <laughs> when it suits you, though, it's great, right? So. <laughs>
0: well, I think that's exactly what we're seeing here, Rachel. They, they've set up massive Internet to Africa, and they're making a ton of money... By, by all the, uh, the adversaries who operate out of there. I mean, they, they kind of have set up an opinion, right? I mean, there's, there's great bandwidth to a lot of African countries because they don't have the rule right. of law that a lot of org- countries have. And, and that allows criminal behavior to proliferate. And that's not necessarily bad for an African country, when money is being brought into you, know, as long as it stays there. So by inaction, there is some, they are stating an opinion, in my in my opinion. I mean, it's like piracy. Look at piracy. If you do nothing about piracy and you allow the pirates to go and plunder ships and then come into your ports and spend the money on on wine and drink and gifts and whatever, I mean, you're kind of, I don't know condoning piracy, right? <laughs> so I think I, I think we I, I think we are seeing some norms that are being established in the world. It's just it's a it's a very fast, it's a very loose, right. unregulated type of world we live in with cybersecurity. I mean, we've got an army here of three hundred thousand people from all over the globe, governed by or not. Hundreds of of different legal entities and rule sets and everything else, and and quite frankly, and I don't want to come down against the Ukraine the uh, the IT Army of Ukraine here, but quite frankly, they're 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 violating a lot of laws because they can get away with it and they want to. Some might say for a very good reason.
2: That's true. Um, I think what complicates this situation in, in terms of the enormous building effort in the past is that we're now having a war between two countries, okay. like a real war, like an international Physical war. war, exactly. yeah, agreed. Exactly. So then uh, you have to consider that the laws of armed conflict, so the civilized conduct of warfare, that we're, we don't torture people, we don't kill host, uh, hostages, we don't send children to, to, to um, uh, we don't recruit them into the army, we don't willfully kind of destroy villages that are in the past because we were you know, kind of up to it. There are rules, like in, in terms of targeting processes that militaries go through. Um, there are all kinds of kinds of uh, processes that, that we developed over the over the decades past and, and over centuries to say, like this is what civilised nations civilised nations do when we go to war. It's like this is not some unregulated space because if you violate them, you're committing war crimes, right? right? And you will, might end up in The Hague. Right? The question then becomes, like, uh, is there like, can you commit war crimes in cyberspace? Right. And the answer to that is, yeah, kind of, but you will probably not be sentenced in The Hague. Uh, I mean, that kind of threshold is simply not there. So nobody will say after this war ends, to say, like, well, uh, the IT army violated uh, the rules of warfare, and so we sent Mikhail Fedorov, the Minister of Digital Transformation, to The Hague. I mean, nobody is going to be up for that. He will be like throwing the hands in the air and said, I've never done any DDoS, I'm not responsible for this, and whatever. And so you really come into an area where, there are fundamental questions as as, as to whether certain conduct actually violates any rules and whether there are certain responsibilities that people in the end take. Because currently, it's just the individual sitting in front of his computer that will have those responsibilities. And I think, I mean, if that's true, then governments can do whatever and uh, they can entice citizens to do stuff that they normally wouldn't. So for example, the Ukraine government does have an application out there citizens on their phone they have an app they can make a picture uh, of a russian soldier geolocation tags and say like well the russians are here i'm sending you this information but at that moment that person takes that picture does that person the civilian become a belligerent or become a combatant in that situation so the russian soldier would be allowed to shoot that belligerent because he's not anymore more civilian he's now a combatant who gives information to the ukrainian government so these are split second kind of interactions. So if you're on the other side, if you're a Russian soldier and you see somebody taking out their phone, you're probably allowed to shoot him. And uh, if that is encouraged by the Ukrainian state, then they're putting their civilians in harm, in, in a harmful situation, right? Mm-hmm. But for the Ukrainian state, it's like we need as much information as possible to wage this warfare, no matter where it comes from. And so there are very, there are, there are a lot of red lines that we're currently treading over because we are putting civilians in a harm's way. And it's not just DDoS, it's just people physically just taking pictures that it's really risky for those people, yeah. and they have no idea what they're doing and so I think there there's a certain state responsibility that comes into play, but apparently we don't hold them accountable there's yeah. no nobody's to to call them out. It's like we're having this discussion in a in a quote unquote academic sense right but on the political well, landscape um, we are it's not happening yeah.
0: <laughs> And 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 I would argue, I mean, you can go back go well be- before the times of cybersecurity. I mean, you could go back to spies, right? The population yeah. drawing pictures or or stealing document documents or advising one side or the other in pretty much any conflict or even non conflict times, going back to the beginning of time, right? So these are norms we're going to have to figure out, and I I suggest that uh, we take our time doing it, but they'll they'll yeah. they'll evolve over time also, and. I I don't know what the answer is. Um we are at our at the end of our time together, unfortunately, and Rachel has to go hit the roulette table. <laughs> or get out of Las Vegas. That's
1: right. That's right. I do want to try roulette though. I mean, how hard is that? That's the only thing I can play. It's like, you know, even odd, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's really easy. Right.
0: Black red right. yeah, you'll be fine. No adding. Anyway, yes. Stefan, it's it's it has been it has been an academically stimulating learning experience here. Yes. I am betting that the bulk of people out there never knew about the IT army of Ukraine. I mean, before we saw that, Rachel and I were talking about it when we talked about the idea for the show weeks ago, maybe months ago, Yeah, and our minds were blown by the report. So thank you for yes. the research, pulling it together. It's what, 31 pages, I think, Rachel? Ah. Uh-huh. It's a it's yeah. a well written, yeah. documented support, report. So thank you for that.
2: Well, thank you for reading it, and thanks for, for inviting me. I mean, it was a super pleasure. And well, if you want to talk again about, about the IT Army, what they do in the future, I don't know. Maybe they oh, be some crazy you may comments. have you
0: back for yes. this one.
2: Yes, <laughs> be on the podcast again
1: all day long.
0: <laughs> Stefan, watch this. Rachel, thumbs up or <laughs> thumbs down on the Ukraine, the IT Army of Ukraine of Ukraine. Woo. <laughs> Two thumbs up from Rachel. There you go. <laughs> that's
1: right. That's right. Okay. We have a position. <laughs> I love. Hack away. Yeah. Our I love Rachel's
0: guide, uh, guiding uh, orders. <laughs>
1: ish ish but uh i, I take us home rachel like take it, us I home i like it well thank you so much stefan again this has been wonderful i was like i was a huge fan of the paper and, and eric knows i've been talking about you incessantly uh for the last few months since i saw that paper so i'm so excited that that we had you on today and would love to continue the conversation because there's so much more to dig in here i mean we're not even scratching the surface here um and i think the future implications are going to be crazy which is which is kind of cool, right? And and scary at the same time, which I love. So to all of our listeners, thank you for listening again this week. We love having you here, uh, and as always, just you know, feel free to smash that subscription button because you get stuff on right to your email inbox. On the Tuesday, you get to hear amazing conversations like this and so much more. Uh, And we're just so lucky to have guests like Stefan Join Us uh, because these are really, really important conversations that, you know, I think uh, we're going to be talking about for a long time and not having any clear answers for. Yeah. (laughs) So...
0: And all of the opinions of the of the host and co-hosts of the show, Rachel and Eric, are not the opinions of Force Point LLC, Force Point Incorporated, or any other legal entity of any sort whatsoever. I'm running out of steam here, Rachel. But uh, you can listen to Rachel's opinion anytime.
1: That's right. So until next time, everyone.
0: Have a great show, everyone. Be safe. Take care. Take care. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.